Good morning, everybody. Uh, I don't know if you noticed. I mean, you can't notice now because they're both off now. But uh, we have both projectors running again today. Uh, thank you, Terry Keel. <laughs> he climbs up on a tall ladder. Uh, I'm not going to try to say how tall it is. but And he gets up there and he puts this $4,000 piece of equipment up there uh, at risk of falling or at worst dropping the projector. Um, and Terry Keel just is the unsung hero um, of my life and even of this church. So um, a lot of the stuff that happens here, y'all. Um, yeah. So thank him if you ever see him, just that we have sound and screens and stuff like that. So <clears throat> um, if this sermon today is bad, um, it's Luke's fault. Uh, he kept coming in and interrupting me a lot this week while I was trying to write my sermon, things like that. Uh, so, uh, on another note, if there's anything good in this sermon, uh, it's Luke's fault. Uh, so, um, a lot of it, when he came in to bother me, he actually shared a lot of really good things uh, for this sermon. So, um, anything good or bad, you can blame him. So, um, And uh, on a less joking uh, note... Um, you know, a lot of these, these sermons, um, you know, I, I put a lot of time into it uh, throughout the week. Um, everybody here who preaches does, and we study, and uh, we read commentaries, and we um, just do all that good stuff. But um, I have to confess that half of any of the good stuff that you ever hear that come out of at least any of my sermons uh, it probably came from Maritza. Uh, you know, I sit down, and we study, and I spend a lot of time at my desk, <clears throat> and a lot of good stuff comes out of that, and the Lord speaks to me there. But um, I would say maybe half of any of the good stuff that comes out. Uh, it came out from me and Maritza just laying there, uh, staring at the ceiling, and just uh, me running through some of the things that I've learned. And, you know, she'll share things from uh, her walk with the Lord, and she'll share things that she's gotten from these scriptures. And uh, most of the time, I don't give her credit enough, but they end up in these sermons, and I take credit for them. Uh, so... I'm super thankful uh, for her and her relationship with the Lord um, that leads to a lot of the revelation that comes uh, here on these days. So, um, if there's any young men in here, looking mostly at you three right here. Um, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Find a woman someday that's going to make you follow Jesus better. Um, anyway, those are my shout outs for the morning. Um, now we can get into the Bible. Um, I hope you have, uh, if you have it, I hope you guys brought your Exodus Bible. You can follow along with us uh, in there, uh, underline things and write things or just doodle if you want to. Um, just a quick, uh, for recap's sake, previously in Irving Church Exodus series, um, Luke took us through Exodus 1 through 2 the first week and found out that God's people are in bondage uh, to the Egyptians, uh, but they cried out to the Lord, and he heard their cry. Um, and as a result, last week Terry told us that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and he says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, who will I say sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. Tell them that Yahweh sent you. And uh, he... Tell, and Moses 
gives several objections, and he's like, well, how are they going to believe me? And God goes, what you got there? He goes, a staff. And God goes, not for long. He throws down his staff, and God gives him all these signs, and the staff turns into a snake, and he... I thought that was really funny. Uh, I, I, I was really hoping that at least one person would laugh at that. Um, but it's okay. I got a few more jokes up my sleeve for the morning that maybe will land. But God gives him these signs, and um, he's supposed to go to Pharaoh and tell them, use these signs and tell them, let my people go. And that's where we're at uh, this morning. We're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, if you want to meet me there. And I'm just going to pray real quick that the Lord would help my jokes land for the rest of the sermon. Heavenly Father, I thank you for revealing yourself to us. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would come and just fill uh, these next few minutes that we're together studying your word. I pray that you would help me. Um, I'm insufficient to do these things, and so... Uh, I just pray that you would come and add your power, come and add uh, your voice. pray that you would be the one speaking uh, today to our hearts, even if it really has not much to say with, uh, not much to do with the things that I say. Holy Spirit, come, we ask, now, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, we are in Exodus chapter 4, if you want to go there, in verse 18. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And Yahweh said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And Yahweh said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. Okay, if you got your handy-dandy Exodus Journal Bible, or even if you don't, if you have a different Bible or your phone, go ahead and underline verse 21, where it's starting at, See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. That'll be important here in a minute, okay? So underline that. We're going to come back to it. Now the next part involves a flint and a foreskin. And I'm going to skip that part unless anybody has any objections. Uh, Nope, Jonathan says yes. Uh, If you want to learn more about this section that I'll be skipping, go talk to Luke and he'll tell you more about that. Okay? So we'll skip down to verse 27. And uh, sorry, verse 29 actually. So, uh, you know, one of the things that Moses said to God, um, God gives him the signs and God tells him he's going to be with him and he's going to help him and he still says, no, please send somebody else. Uh, My favorite is Moses gives all these excuses and he's like, God, I don't talk good. And he's like, who made the mouth? You know, Uh, you know, I did. I'll help you. I'll help you speak. And he goes, well, how are they going to believe me whenever I speak? And he's like, all right, here's some signs, like throw your staff down. And then after all that, he just goes, God, just send somebody else. <laughs> and so, and then it says God got frustrated. Um, and so God says, okay, fine, you're, we'll send Aaron, your brother, with you. He speaks, he talked good. And so Aaron's going to go with you. And uh, so now Moses is going to go and get Aaron. They meet up. Uh, Moses talks to Aaron, tells him what's going on. 
fills them in, and now they're going to go to the Israelite people and tell them first this great plan that God has to deliver the people out of Egypt. And so this is what it says, starting in verse 29. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in front of the people. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. <clears throat> Moses comes and he says, I'm going to, God has heard your cry, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is here and he's going to set you free. And here's how you know. And Aaron does the signs, turns the snake, the staff into a snake, and does all these other signs. And the people, they hear this and they see all this, and it says they believed. And because they believed, they bowed down and they worshiped God. Okay. So Moses, I don't know about you, but Moses has got to be feeling, think about what Moses has just gone through for a second, okay? Moses has encountered God in the burning bush, this big miraculous thing. The God of his ancestors has come and he has told him his name and he's given him these amazing signs and now, he, so he's got this revelation from God, he's got all these signs that he, can, that he has in his power uh, and then he's got, not only that, he's got his brother Aaron to help him now, which he was really bothered by, but now, you know, that helped him. He's got his brother. And now he's got the support of all the people of Israel, all the elders of Israel. Everybody's backing him now. So he's got all these things going for him before he goes to Pharaoh, okay? And I don't know about you, but I think Moses probably walked up to, the, walked up to Pharaoh's palace that day walking like somebody owed him money, Okay? He was probably strutting up there, I would imagine, right? The God of the universe, the creator, came and said, hey, I'm going to help you do this. I'm going to help you get rid of, uh, get the people out of, the, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And uh, all these signs and wonders are happening. He's got the support. And so I'm thinking he's probably pretty confident and feeling pretty good. The word is fresh. He's got the support. So he walks in, he's talked to Pharaoh, starting in 5 verse 1. This is what he says. Moses and Aaron said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh? And that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regards to lying words. Okay, 
Am I echoing a little bit? Or is that just me up here? Okay. Terry, I'm getting a little bit of feedback, a little bit of echo up here. You can do anything about that. Uh, so, Moses goes up, and uh, something happens to him that happens to a lot of people uh, who have encountered the Lord and received this big call and got on their life for them to go and do something big for him. They go up, God tells them to do something really big, and uh, they, the word is fresh, and they just, God told them what they're going to do and made these amazing promises to them, and he equips them, gives them power, and they go up, and they take the first crack at doing the thing, and then everything is terrible. Things get worse than they were before. Go and you try to start a ministry or, or you know, you're trying to do this thing for the Lord and, you know, hey guys, God told me to do this thing and uh, we're going to go, we're going to start this ministry and you, no one supports you. Everybody tells you you're crazy. You go out and you feel like the Lord's put a heavy burden on your heart to share the gospel with the people in your family and you go and the first person you tell about Jesus, they cuss you out and say, get out of my face and don't ever talk to me about this again. Okay? And you go and you're like, and you do what Moses does right here. Okay? Let's go. Let's just read it. You go and uh, the taskmasters, they go to Pharaoh. You know, they, like they said, um, got, uh, Pharaoh makes the burdens harder on the people. And so uh, they start beating the foreman, the people who are in charge of the slaves, and so the slaves, the foremen, go up to uh, Pharaoh and they say, why are you doing this? Please stop. And Pharaoh's like, no, we're not going to stop. You, know, you need to meet your quota. And so they go to Moses and they say, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sore in their hands to kill us. And so Moses says, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I think that Moses is not the only one to ever feel like this. If you have ever felt God to call you to do much of anything, <clears throat> much of anything in your life, you may have felt like this at some point. Maybe not the anger. Maybe you're a little bit more reverent than Moses was. Maybe you're just like, God, I'm confused. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is going so poorly. I thought that you called me to do this. I thought you were the one telling me to do this. Why is it going so badly? Uh, I've talked about this guy before. Uh, his name is Jim Simbola, but... Uh, Jim, uh, he's a pastor of a big church in, in New York um, that I love a lot, um, but in college, um, he was just a collegiate basketball player, and he was studying business, and he was just going to play basketball in college and then go do the business thing, go be a businessman uh, in New York. But on the night of his wedding, uh, he was, they were doing the toasts during the reception, and, you know, they're up there and, you know, clinking the glasses and saying the nice things about um, the bride and groom. And they opened up the microphone for anybody who wanted to do a toast. And uh, some guy, some, uh, one of those weird uncles or somebody, some relative came out of the crowd. And he walked up and he took the mic and he said, <clears throat> this couple right here is going to, uh, they're going to be pastors. And they are going to 
pastor a church, and it's going to change the lives of thousands of people, and uh, a bunch of people are going to come to know the Lord because of these people's ministry, and, you know, yada, 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 all these crazy, huge uh, promises that he was saying that uh, the Lord had told him to say. And then it turned into like a big prayer session, and people came up and like started praying for them, and it was kind of wild. And Jim and his wife were pretty confused because they never wanted to be pastors. This was never something that was ever on their agenda, something they thought about doing. Um, but they were obedient to it, and uh, they went and they became pastors of a little place called the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. Um, and essentially, <clears throat> they went to this church, and things were not going well. Um, the attendance, it used to be a you know, multi-hundred person church in New York, but over the years it had really uh, waned and uh, you know, mostly just it was older people and everybody had either left or you know, they're getting older and just starting to die off. <laughs> and so um, he had this little church with only a few people, and since he had gotten there, only more people had left, and uh, it was not great. The people weren't even very spiritual. Uh, he was pretty convinced that somebody was stealing from the offering every week. And um, basically, <clears throat> he was going through the motions for uh, a few months of trying to pastor this church, trying to preach, trying to counsel, trying to uh, pastor, and it was going very, very poorly. He said in one of his sermons, one of his, uh, where he was almost at his breaking point, he was in the middle of preaching a sermon, and he heard a huge, loud, like, boom, like, crack, and one of the pews had collapsed <laughs> while he was preaching, and like five people just got like thrown onto the floor because they didn't have money to repair anything or like get new stuff. And so things are just going really badly. <clears throat> and so one day he leaves and goes on a much needed vacation. He's on a fishing trip. And I think I've told this part to you all before, but uh, he goes and he gets on the boat. And, you know, he is just despairing over uh, this church and basically wrestling just like Moses and said, God, I thought you called me to do this work. I thought you called me. I thought, what was all this stuff about, you know, we're going to pastor this big successful church and people are going to thrive and people are going to meet Jesus and all that stuff. None of that's happening. And he said that he heard the Lord speak to him. And the Lord said, if you and your wife will commit yourself to prayer and calling upon my name, uh, you will never lack a fresh word to preach. You will never have enough space to contain all the people that will come to your building, and you will always have every dollar that you need for every bit of ministry that your church needs to do. I want you to notice something. <clears throat> We're going to go to ver chapter 6, verse 1, okay? See, <clears throat> it says, But Yahweh said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. See, I think there's supposed to be a little bit of emphasis on two words there, now and I. It says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And what I'm going to do is make him wish that all of you were out of this land as fast as possible. Okay? Now, here's why I think there's an emphasis on the I, what I am going to do. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> do you guys remember that verse I had you underline in chapter 4? Let's go back to that for just a second. See, when God says, now you're going to see what I am going to do to Pharaoh, this is in contrast to what Moses didn't do. 
What did God tell, Pharaoh, tell Moses to do whenever he goes to Pharaoh and tells the people, tells him to let go of the people? 421. See that you do before Pharaoh all of the miracles that I have put in your power. Do you remember what Moses did not do? He didn't do any of the miracles that God had told him to do. He went up to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go because God said so. And Pharaoh laughed him out of the room and said, no, we're actually going to increase your burden. Here's the problem with the first go around. Moses had received a call on his life to go and do a particular thing, but he did not go and use the power with which God gave him to do that work. God will never call you to do something that you can do without his power. He thought that he could go in there and he could just go. I don't know why. It doesn't say why he didn't do the miracles. It doesn't say. I don't know if he was afraid. Maybe he thought it was unnecessary. Maybe he forgot. <laughs> I don't think that that was probably, that's, I don't think that's something you'd probably forget. But he walks in there and he thinks that his words are going to do the trick. But here's the thing, and this is something that we learned from the Apostle Paul, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. God did not want to simply go in there and speak words to Pharaoh. God wanted to go in there and demonstrate his power. Pharaoh stood there and he mocked this idea of Yahweh. He says, who is Yahweh? I don't know who Yahweh is. And Moses was supposed to go, this is Yahweh. My friend Jim Cimbala, he's not actually my friend, I wish he was, but the guy I'm talking about, Jim Cimbala, he had to try See, I don't know, maybe, I don't know why, like I said, I don't know why they didn't go in and use the miracles like God told them to do, um, but it turned into a major setback. But the funny thing about setbacks is with God, a lot of times a setback may just be a setup. Setback may just be a setup. God may have been just trying to get them to see what would happen when they go in and really just try to do it on their own with their words without God's help and God's power, Okay. And you see, this is the thing with Jim Cimbala, is he had to get to the point where he's like, God, I've tried everything I can. I'm preaching, I'm pastoring, I'm counseling, I'm trying to do everything that I can to fulfill this call that you put on my life, but I can't do it. And that is when God shows up and says, okay, now that you've reached this point, you're able to hear this. You need my power. He didn't say, oh, you're preaching the wrong sermons if you use better illustrations or if you try to make people laugh more or, hey, you need to, instead of trying to get people into church the way that you're doing it now, maybe if you, offer, maybe if you start a coffee bar in your church and offer people a free latte if they come for the first time to your church, then, you know, I'm going to do all these amazing things. He says, no. He says, you need to pray. You need my power. He said, if you just come to me and you as a church, come together and pray and call out for the Lord, then all these things are going to happen. But only then. See, with God, there's a way things work. 
And there's, when he calls us to something, and when he gives us promises, and when he gives us instructions, you know, it's not just guaranteed. You have to do it his way. And this is God's way. It's not that we would just talk, or not that we would just try to go out and do our best to do the things that God has called us to do, but that we do it with his power. And I know sometimes, like, this... This relate, Jim's story really, really relates a lot from, oh, by the way, like, he goes back there and he starts prayer meetings at his church, and uh, God does everything that he said he was going to do, and his church blew up, and not because, like I said, they offered free lattes and stuff, but because people were just meeting Jesus, like prostitutes and gangsters and drug addicts in Brooklyn were coming to this church, and they were meeting Jesus, and they were getting clean, and they were turning their lives around, and people saw that, and that's why they wanted to come, okay? I'm not advocating just for megachurch on behalf of megachurch, but people coming because they're seeing people's lives changed by God. But the point is, is that you are never, and so what I was going to say about that is that story really relates to me because, like, I'm a pastor, and so, like, uh, that's kind of like how I've, one of the callings that God has placed on my life um, is to lead people into encountering Jesus in that way. But I'm talking about, and sometimes when we talk about things like that on stage, like, how does that really relate to me? I'm not trying to go start a church. But this is anything in your life that is of God. Some of you are just struggling to read your Bible. Some of you are just like, you know, I've tried to read my Bible. We talked about this a little bit since we're getting ready to study the Bible. And you are not alone if you're saying this. Uh, Many people are saying this. I try to read my Bible, but I just can't. You know, I try, I get on it, and, you know, I'm doing my best, but I always just, after a couple weeks, I just kind of give up. Have you been trying to do it on your own? We, (laughs) it's hard to overemphasize how little we can do apart from God. And it's also hard to overemphasize how much we can do when we do have him. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He said, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. I don't know what God is calling you to. Maybe we're just starting with trying to read our Bibles, but have you got down and said, God, I can't do this. It's not working for me. I can't really stick to this reading plan. I don't like 2 Corinthians. I need you to make this thing come alive to me. You got on your knees and said, Jesus, would you speak to me? Help me. Have you come in that place of humility and real desire and saying, Jesus, I need your help. Please help me. Maybe you're trying to fix it. Maybe you're trying to make a marriage work. Have you been trying to fix it yourself? Or have you got on your knees and said, Jesus, I need your help. You've you've shown me what marriage looks like and I have an idea, but it just doesn't look anything like that. Help me. Please help me. I need your power to do this because I can't do it on my own. So things are going really rough with the Israelites. Okay. Um, God says, but now you shall see what I will do. And Luke's going to talk about that a little bit next week, um, what God's going to start to do. But um, I want to point out just a few things uh, from these next few verses, because God says that, but then he goes on to tell us something really special about himself. Okay. 
If you go to verse chap, uh, if you go to chapter two or chapter six of verse two, it says God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them." Whenever you first hear that verse, you know, like I did, uh, I was like, "Oh, that's pretty neat. I didn't know that. I didn't know that God revealed Himself first to." Uh, Moses as Yahweh, and he hadn't done that for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, kind of neat. But then if you go back and read in Genesis, then you're a little bit confused because you see that even as early as like Cain and Abel, it says that the people started to call upon the name of Yahweh. And you're like, uh-oh. And then you go and look at Abraham, and he talks to God, and he calls him Yahweh. And you're like, okay, well, what the heck does that even mean? Um, so this is a little bit confusing. So I'm going to skip this part as well. I'm just kidding, I'm not going to skip it. Uh, <laughs> we only skipped the part about, no, I won't even say that word again. Um, I want to mention just something uh, real quick. I don't have as much time as I would like, so I'm going to skip some of the things that I was going to say about this, but um, I do want to say something about Yahweh. If you look, it says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, God Almighty, the word there is El Shaddai, um, and it's a word that's primarily used in Genesis and Job. If you know anything about Job, it's, he probably lived around the same time as Abraham um, and them. And the interesting thing here is it's primarily just in the beginning part of the Bible, and it's not used very much after that. And now God is primarily going to be known to his people as Yahweh. And Terry told us a little bit about Yahweh, the name Yahweh, last week. And uh, he talked about how uh, it's a little bit confusing, uh, and we actually don't know very much about the name, and that is true. He shows up to Moses, and he says uh, these three words, uh, Eyeh, Asher, Eyeh, and those words, if you have five different Bible translations, you're probably going to get four or five different translations. Uh, you'll see, I am who I am. I am that I am. I, am, uh, I will be what I will be. Uh, or I will cause to be what I will cause to be. And it's pretty confusing. And to make matters worse, like Terry said, we don't really know how to pronounce it exactly. Uh, in ancient Hebrew, they didn't have vowels. Those came a few hundred years later, and so we're kind of just guessing. Uh, so it could be Yahweh, or it could be Yehwah, or it could be Yehweh, <laughs> or Yahweh. Um, but to be fair, that's the case with all Hebrew words, uh, so we really don't know how any of it is pronounced. And to make matters worse, as far as translation goes, um, Everywhere where things were written Yahweh, uh, scribes later on went in and they took out Yahweh and they put Lord because they were afraid of taking the divine name in vain, which is really sad. But now that's why you see Lord written everywhere is because we kind of carried that along. And so Yahweh is very confusing. But we dare not get caught up in, okay, let's make sure we pronounce it right. Okay, let's make sure that we understand totally what it means. Let's make sure that we translate it the right way and miss the point of what God is really doing here and what Moses probably came away saying. He probably didn't say, oh, I am. I wonder if it's I am or I wonder if it's I will be what I'll be. Or, he probably came away, I hope he came away saying, he gave us his name. The creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We got his name. The point isn't exactly what God revealed. 
it is really important that we study these things and try to understand God the best we can, but it's not what he revealed so much as the fact that he just revealed himself. This is the crazy thing, is that the creator, the Lord of heaven and earth, wants, wanted us to know him more. You see, I think one of the big words here, if you look, you can underline this, says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. That word known can mean like a knowing of somebody in a shallow, just knowing a fact or knowing a name. But it can also mean, it's also the same word that says um, Adam knew Eve and then she had a son. So it can also be this deep, intimate knowing. I know Luke. We're really good friends. I know Luke's dad. I know his name, and I've shook his hand once, I think. And I know Maritza. But the way that I know Luke is really different from how I know Luke's dad. And both of those are really different from how I know Maritza. And here's the point, is that Yahweh showed up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They even knew his name. But he just appeared every now and then. And Yahweh is now with the people. He's about to be with them in a way that they have never known. He is about to be with them always in the Ark of the Covenant, his presence going with them. They were even going to see him in a pillar of cloud, a pillar pillar of fire with them always. And it was even God's desire to speak directly to the people all the time, have that intimate of a relationship with them. But they said, I don't want it. But this is the point, is that they're moving into knowing God more. And this is what we're taking away from God, showing showing them his name, is that God is revealing himself to the people. And this is what God, Abraham knew God as El Shaddai, as the Almighty. But Moses is about to know him as Yahweh, as I am. God is knowing him, and he's not taking away El Shaddai, he's still El Shaddai, he's still God Almighty. God is revealing himself more to this new people. And you know what? Abraham knew him as El Shaddai, Moses knew him as Yahweh, and then Peter knew him as Emmanuel. And now even today, you and I get to live with him inside of us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And one day, all of us are going to live in the presence of God always, his manifest presence, and look upon his face and worship him and be with him forever always. God is in the process of taking us from this much revelation, this much knowing of him, to this much knowing of him. He's drawing us deeper. He wants to know you more. He wants to show himself to you more, and that's the point. And that's what we rejoice about. Call him Yahweh if you want. You can read Yahweh. You can read Lord. You can call him El Shaddai. But the point is, is he wants you to know him more. That's what's at stake here. Last thing. We get seven I wills here. This is what I mean. Starting in verse 4. It says, I also established my covenant with them to give to them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So God has remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this is what God is going to do. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out of under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. And what you get right here is the Lord saying he's going to do a lot of stuff. I love it because it's seven different distinct words that God says he's going to, things that he's going to do for them. And each one he says, I will, I will, I will. He says, I will bring you out. I will redeem you. I will make you my people. I will be your God. And I will bring you in to the new land and I will give it to you as a possession. I'm not a numerology guy. People say that numbers mean things in the Bible. I haven't like looked into it enough to say anything about it. Um, usually it seems rather magical and doesn't you know, always make sense. But they do say the number seven in the Bible is the number of completion. And that will preach really well here, so I'm going to be a numerology guy today. You see, God is the complete Savior. He is the complete deliverer. And when he delivers someone, when he saves someone, when he saves a people, he does it completely. You can even see it in the, in the imagery of these words. He says, I will bring you out and I will bring you in. I don't know, but it seems at, at one point, like, if I was God, I would be like, you know what, like, he brings them out of Egypt, and then he has to bring them into the promised land, and he takes them to the Red Sea, and I feel like almost God is just like, you know, at one point he would be like, you know, I took you, you want me to help, you want me to do what? Like, you want me to get you into the, the prom- like, I already, like, split the sea, like, I drowned the army, like, can you not do this part? Like, or maybe the other way around, like, hey, you know what, like, if you guys can ever get out of Egypt, just hit me up, and we'll see what we can do about getting you into the promised land, Right? It seems reasonable, but it's not. He goes and he says, I am the one who pulls you out of slavery and I'm the one who brings you into the land of promise. And a lot of us think that we have to do at least some of it ourselves. Okay, yeah, God saved me, but now I really got to go and do my best. This is the good part of the sermon. This is the end too. I don't really know what all you people want from me. Um, God is the one who is delivering these people completely. He is the one who brings you out of addiction. He's the one who brings you out of your sinfulness. He's the one who brings you out of slavery. And he's also the one who brings you into life. He's also the one who delivers you into his kingdom of light. He's the one doing all of it. You know what the Israelites did? They cried out. That was all they did. They didn't do nothing, but pretty close to it. All they did was cry out, and then God says, all right, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. I'll be your God. I'll make you my people. Not even you'll become my people. I'm going to make you my people. And he says, and I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to give you the land. That's what I'm going to do. I could have finished 10 minutes ago if y'all were amening, um, 
but I could keep on going just to make sure that we're going to get it. God is the one who is doing this. And all we have to do is cry out and say, God, we need your help. We need you to do this. We need you to give us the power that we need to do this thing you've called us to do. I want to read one last verse, because maybe you're not amening, because you might be feeling a little bit of this. Moses went in there, and he told him all that God was going to do. I will take you out. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to make you my people. I am Yahweh. And they go, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, and they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. You may be here in, the, in this room this morning and be like, yeah, whatever. Maybe for somebody else. But not for me. Because you have been so broken down by what has happened to you. You've been so beaten down by the world, the devil, your parents, your spouse. That you hear this and you just like, I just... What is that to me? Let me tell you this. They didn't believe. God delivered them anyway. He delivered them anyway. Because all they had to do was cry out. God came in. Don't want to spoil the rest of the story for you, but he does it. He does it. He delivers them brings them out and he brings them in and gives them the land. This is Yahweh. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Help us to believe and God help us to cry out. You need to do some crying out. This morning, we have uh, the crying out corner over here. Um, we have a prayer team. Um, love to pray with you um, just about whatever's going on with you today. Thanks.